RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Tuesday morning on RCR is Tech Tuesday. Stephen Sykes, who's been busy, joins us to talk about this time. You're promising us, aren't you, Stephen? You're not going to have like a special announcement that there's been a change of programming like last week. Um, We're talking AI in this chat, and there might be a few more chats on that, depending on on how big we find this topic to be. So AI, but there's a few housekeeping matters to address first. Thanks very much. I I just want to be clear that AI is artificial intelligence, not artificial insemination or incineration or any other alternative definitions that you might be dreaming up for AI. Okay, and it's probably one of the most talked about tech things now on the planet. You'd agree with that? Uh, yeah, it probably is. Um, that's probably the juiciest one because everyone is, uh, has concerns about its potential. But, uh, it's, you know, when, when we get to that um, later on in this session, uh, you know, uh, we'll certainly be talking about a whole bunch of juicy stuff. But um, uh, just wanting to let everyone know that thank you for everybody who's been emailing me directly about um, the Google phones. Um, I appreciate the, the comments I've been receiving very much. I've replied to everyone. Um, if uh, you haven't heard from me in over four days, then maybe um, you should check your junk folder because everyone who emailed me within like the first hour of um, of the session where I talked about, you know, if you need help, Google phone, contact me. And I've replied to all those people. So if you think you haven't heard, then I have. I um, just want to give everyone a reminder that June 24 at Lotus Heart at 10.30 is an Urbit uh, meetup. Um, it's a de- um, decentralized uh, system, which uh, I think going forward is something that uh, should be on everyone's radar, along with everything else that they give us opportunities to have to go and chase after. Yep. Um, I got I got some in, in, in the feedback. Um Somebody was asking about their behavioral biometrics terms and conditions on their GM visa. Um, we will we will cover that um, another time, but um, basically the short version to that is uh, do not consent. What visa was that again? Just say again. GM visa. Oh, what's that? Sorry, I sh- maybe I should know, but I, that's why I'm talking to you, so I find things I, out. I, I think it's just a visa card issued by um, ah. GM, by GM. Okay, so it it can, contains biometric information. I think you might have mentioned that, uh, yeah, as yeah, well as behavioral. just behavioral, mm. like um, gets has a hot temper. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I I think I mentioned on the very first Tech Tuesday, I think it was when um, it was an insurance company. I can't remember which one. For some reason, I think it's AMI, but I could be wrong. Um, basically, that uh, if you installed their app on your phone, then you got um, reductions on on your uh, car insurance premiums, basically by consenting to being spied upon. It's like, Uh, how would that, that that, that would lower your premiums because the um, information shows you're what a better, more conscientious, safer driver. Yes. Not that you're about to have a heart attack behind the wheel. Yeah. But right. of course, if you leave your car and phone, uh, your your phone in the car, and someone else drives is driving, oh, you you know where it is. Yeah. Well, it's they think you're driving. Oh right, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like some, some mad uh, boy racer gets hold of your car. He, yeah, either that or um, I mean, you'd have to explain it away. But you know, then there's the palaver around that. 
And then, of course, you know, say you, you go out drinking uh, and you have a bit too many, you're in your car, but someone else is driving and they don't quite drive as well as you. So what? Oh, so of, your points get... Um, yeah, I mean, when you can't understand what they're thinking or how they're thinking about it, how they're analysing it, then you're completely at their mercy. So in my view, it's better to just not play the game. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. All right, well, that sounds really interesting. Yes, but... Um, I've got yeah. a few uh, news items. Um, yep. Did Google, you did you have did you have a wait on? I got to ask you. Did you have a yeah. question for Chat GTP? It's all right if you didn't. didn't. Oh yeah, um, we'll get to the we'll get oh, to good. the Chat GPT one because it leads nicely into um, the talk about AI today. But okay, yeah. Um, so first, we'll um, we're going to out uh, Google and Amazon again. <laughs> uh, so, despite. Um, Google promising about a year ago that they would stop tracking people who were seeking reproductive care. And The Guardian reported this 21st of July, 2022, because uh, they were under um, scrutiny over a pledge to protect abortion location data. On the 11th of April this year, Accountable Tech reported that Google was still doing it, despite the fact that they had said they would not. Oh. They are continuing to collect and retain um, location data from people who go to abortion clinics. Um, this is in, in the US, um, and it affects about 24 states in the US. Um, so basically, it, it threatens, again, your privacy and your bodily autonomy of anybody after or seeking um, reproductive health care. And I mean, Google's wow. got, that Google's, is so sinister. Well, it is, and Google's got a track record of sharing data with law enforcement, you know, quite a lot of the time, and it's easy to dismiss that and go, well, A, I don't live in the USA, secondly, um, that scenario doesn't happen to me, but don't be indifferent because it hasn't happened to you yet. They always come for you at, you know, the end. Yeah, well. Keep that in mind. Yeah, there's there's ways, there's two ways to play this game, and the, uh, the other interesting uh, bit of news is from Amazon, where they shut down a customer's smart home for a week after a delivery driver claimed that he'd heard racist slur through the ring doorbell, even though there was nobody home. And the the guy whose house <laughs> it, the guy's whose house it was, Brandon Jackson, who actually is an um, an employee of Microsoft, after he reviewed the camera footage, the delivery driver could clearly be seen wearing headphones. So he must have misinterpreted the camera when it spoke to him and, sa- and said to the driver, excuse me, can I help you? Right. And so after having um, been a customer for 10 years, he's decided he's considering getting rid of the whole lot and using a system based upon a Raspberry Pi, which is something I've talked about before. Yeah. So, so when when they close down that service, what what is affected? Is that does that what turn the house? Well, they just dis- they disabled because um, he was so heavily into using Amazon products and in his smart home, smart speakers. He had an Alexa, things oh, like right. that. Yeah, yeah. The whole lot just was dead because Amazon decided that after this alleged racial slur, which was clearly a mistake, um, that they were going to take away everything. Okay, so, I mean, that's a real low bar if you want to get services denied to someone. Just make, just ring up and make any, whether you misheard something or you 
you know, you, you wanted to cause damage to have that level of reaction on that. There's something wrong there. Yeah. It's, it's, if you like, it's a low tech way of um, hacking someone's tech. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose so. And the guy had the headphones on, so he wasn't hearing things properly. Is that, is yeah. that... Yes. The delivery driver, the one who claimed he hit racial slurs. So it didn't occur to the delivery driver that, Oh, I had, my hearing was impaired anyway because I had headphones on and presumably something else was playing in those headphones as well. Maybe oh, he would. Maybe he was listening to music that contained racial racial slurs, like like death rap or something like that. Uh, yeah, who knows? Death the, metal. The report didn't go into into what he was actually listening to. It's just that he clearly couldn't be listening properly. Um, so this is yet another stark reminder that these kinds of products that you buy that you think belong to you don't. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Good reminder. All right. Where to next? So um, interesting report came out about um, chat GPT. A um, professor flunked all of his students after he falsely accused them all of using chat GPT um, with their papers. They had already graduated, but they would deny their diplomas because of it. And so what had happened was uh, this professor had set an assignment and students did the assignment. So he wanted to see if students had been using ChatGPT to um, write it. So with every single uh, paper that the, all the students had written, he'd asked um, ChatGPT, did you write this work? Chat GPT says, well, um, I don't keep a record of answers that I give to things. So then he modified the question a little bit and said, does this look like something you would have written? And Chat GPT said, yes, this does look like something I would have written. And Chat GPT said that about every single paper. Right. And then a student um, fought back and showed um, showed evidence in their Google Docs, um, the history um, as they had been writing their um, their essay. Apparently that wasn't good enough. So then the student took the, um, the lecturers, the professors' um, PhD abstract that they would have written long nice. before ChatGPT came along. Nice, nice. Yep. And asked ChatGPT, does this look like something you would have written? And it said yes. End of story, slam dunk. Pretty much. E egg on face. Yeah. Okay, so he was the professor or whoever was, was really believing chat GTP. Yes, so believing it blindly without verifying that it was, you know, um, that its claim was true. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, we've talked about people blindly um following GPS navigation systems and then have a car crash because they weren't bothered to, they weren't looking out the window or didn't or drive the, into the sea. It, or you drive into the sea or in some places people have um, run their boats aground because they were following a map that was incorrect and then run aground. Yeah, but you see the ground coming, you'd think that the person would kind of re recalculate the whole mission on that basis. It's like the woman who drove off the boat ramp. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. water. It's a boat ramp. There are boats all around. You're going to be in the water if you drive. Oh well, it says to go this way. And my, maybe she thought her car was an amphibious vehicle. Well, it was for a while <laughs> until it went, reached the bottom. 
exactly. Okay. All so right. That's, well, that, that that's um, that's fascinating. Um, there'll be plenty more stories like that, I would imagine, as we go, you know, into the future of this. So yes. that's our on ramp into AI and talking about it. So with such a big subject, where are you going to start? Well, um, as the oracle um, Julie Andrews once said, that I start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. Uh, oh, of course, she's made it sound a whole lot better than me. But yeah, she had a, a given a more uh, professional singing voice. But that's well, not just, your. It's not your area of expertise. So no, okay. no, no, no. I, I, I admit to um, sucking one hundred and ten percent at that. But that's where we're, what we're going to do. We're going to start at the beginning because, uh, like people who uh, experienced the Christchurch earthquakes, we all became experts in liquefaction. So um, the theory is that by the time I'm done, uh, everyone will have a deeper um, background um, on artificial intelligence. So we're going to take our time and go through this um, slowly. So that's why we're going to, do more than one session about uh, artificial intelligence, because this takes us back to 1956 um, when AI became vogue um, around then. It was the organizers of a summer research project at Dartmouth University, and that's when they came up with, they coined the phrase artificial intelligence. And the first first, uh, types of artificial intelligence where um, intelligence work uh, programs typically called an expert system. And these had carefully crafted rules for making decisions, um, often expressed in, this, in the form of some kind of logical statement like, uh, if X is true, or maybe even false, then do thing Y. And these rules that got made up depended upon the task at hand and the access to um, human knowledge of how to accomplish it. So if you wanted to get the optimal sales price for a service, then you would um, have a chat with experienced sales representatives who would help shape how the machine behaved. And these rules were pretty good for um, many purposes, um, so much so that by the 1980s, two-thirds of Fortune 500 companies were using expert systems as part of the daily work. Um, But of course, these systems were only ever as good as the rules that were created for them. And so this made them fairly rigid, um, the human crafted rules, as I said, um, but of course, absolutely no uh, match for actual human intelligence. So the moment something uh, came came out of left field, some ambiguous situation cropped up or something occurred where you needed to be a bit more flexible with a complicated task, they completely failed. Yeah, um, no, no surprise there. Yeah. Um, because uh, even if you th- think you've thought of everything, you're nowhere near it, actually. Yeah, yeah. it's it's it's, uh, it's uncovering. Um, uh, do you, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, that's right. And Murphy's Law oh, yeah. will yeah. always throw up, you know, something, won't it? Oh, every, every time a coconut. The, the, um, the, uh, probably the, the pinnacle of expert systems um, was probably Deep Blue. Do you remember Deep Blue? Yeah, the IBM computer, which played chess. 
That's the one, yep, um, which took about 10 years to develop. Um, and it was the 11th of May, 1997. Um, Gary Kasparov sat That's down right. to yep. play his final game of chess against Deep Blue. Um, before that game started, it was a six-game match, and they had two and a half points each. And Gary Kasparov um, said that um, this was, quote, the brain's last stand. Yeah. Okay. How did that How did that turn out? I can't remember. He, um, he resigned during the last game. Um, he started off the game um, using a particular move. I can't remember the name of the move, but it was considered um, weak. So if you were a grand... You know, you're a grandmaster chess player, it would be the last thing you would ever consider doing. He played the move because he thought that Deep Blue might not be aware. However, they had managed to um, teach Deep Blue about this um, move anyway. And uh, he, he was surprised by this. And uh, as he went through it, he, um, he ended up resigning um, and didn't complete the game. Some people said that he sort of threw in the towel a bit too soon, um, right? And and didn't uh, push it as far as as far as he could. But hey, when you've got all of you, you, you know, uh, sorry, New York watching you, um, as where this game was held, I um, I believe, um, yeah, you got a bit of pressure. You versus a computer system, which has been designed uh, and has the rules of chess masters from around the world so you're not just playing an algorithm you're playing against lots of experts the combined knowledge of lots of experts um i could see why he, he tried that tactic and yes. if he was right it would have you know he would have been a hero and once you realize it's not going to work what's the point of carrying on because you know you've started with such a weak move let's say that coming back from that against all, all that is probably not possible. So might as well just well, tip, well they do tip over the queen or the king in that situation. Yes, yeah, uh, I think they did yeah to the king. Um, there is a term for that, and I can't remember that either. But it's um, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So so deep blue. Whatever happened to deep blue? I suppose it's in a museum now, or does it live still? I, I don't know. That's that's a very good question. I, I imagine all its uh, combined uh, expertise is probably uh, sitting inside uh, a game of chess that you can play on your phone because that was 1997. Yeah, you'd, you'd be right there. Okay. And, well, it was and, good hearing about that again. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time that uh, machine learning came around, um, its competitor uh, was called um, machine learning. Uh, this cropped up in the 50s as well. So machine learning um, doesn't focus on rules so much. It focuses on data. So this means it doesn't rely on, on people um, painstakingly converting knowledge um, from humans into various kinds of rules. Um, chess is kind of easier because, you know, there are certain rules and they're a lot easier to, to program considering um, the variety of other things you could do. So um, Instead of um, figuring out stuff from vast amounts of, of um, data like you would expect um, an expert system to do, 
uh, machine learning can can work on that, and it, it's so powerful that it can create uh, good things, uh, but stuff that also fails with absolute devastation. And the way they work, um, without trying to get too um, use too many big words, it uh, machine learning uses neural networks, which is basically a lot of nodes that you call uh, neurons, and you represent this in in the code. Now, when you hear the word neuron, you're usually thinking of the brain in neuroscience, but it's a whole lot simpler. A node is just um, basically think of it as a as a cardboard box uh, or a shoebox, whatever, and it stores a value. Now, that value could be the color of a pixel out of an image, or it could be the result of some sort of mathematical equation. And these neurons are grouped together in, in layers, and because of the number and the complexity of these neurons, humans can't set the strength of the relationship between them and therefore don't set the flow of information through the network. Um, what does do this is something called supervised learning. So instead of making up a whole bunch of rules like you would with an expert system, you feed the neural network training data. So this means you you take a whole lot of, um, you feed the whole network a whole bunch of uh, data of what the correct answer to questions might be. The more data you feed it, the better the network performs. Um, similarly, you could um, compare this to somebody who's training to be an athlete, sports person. The more training you do, the better you become. The more environments you can, can train in, the better athlete or sports person you become. Um, and all of this training is something that you do before you put the system into place. Otherwise, it can get things really, really wrong. Mm, if, yeah. it, um, you know, the, there's things that could be really obvious to a kid. Um, but if the system doesn't know, it's just going to get things wrong. So it, this is where the guy-go principle um, kicks in, garbage in, garbage out. If, right. you, if you feed it... Um, if you feed it um, that data or information that doesn't represent the real uh, the real world, you can potentially get a bias that will creep in, even if you didn't mean to. And when you've got those biases built in, then correcting that's super super hard. Right. Um, I, I know it's not AI exactly, but um, people have accidentally made systems for uh, taps, you know, like when you go to a mall and you wash your hands and you slip your hands under the tap. Yeah, they and, start, yep. Yeah, and the water comes out. Um, there have been systems made by people who have a light-coloured skin pigmentation, and the way those sensors work, they bounce light. And when you put your hand under there, um, the light reflects back, so the tap knows that there's a hand there and the water comes out. But if you are somebody whose skin has a very dark pigmentation, uh, it doesn't see it. The light doesn't reflect. Right. So, you, so you get no water. So you go, well, I'm a black person. you tell them, tell me I'm not allowed to wash my hands? No. Well, it's just the fact they didn't think to test it with people who have darker skin. Which is a, a bit of an obvious miss, I would have to say. Yeah, but it sort of tells you about sometimes the uh, nature of certain people who develop these systems who 
um, simply don't think about these things. It's it's going back to you don't know what you don't know because you just simply haven't thought about it. Yeah, yeah. So the tap's never going to know. It's, it's just can't. a tap. It's, it's impossible just, for it's it to know. It's just a tap. It's just a tap. <laughs> Remember, it's just a tap, folks. It is. All right. Okay. So we're, we're so machine learning. I hear that mentioned a lot too in regards to to AI. Is there a crossover? Yeah. There? Yes. Um, that that um, absolutely. That's um, quite. Um, it underpins AI in a lot of ways. So um, in two thousand and twelve was the year when we experienced a massive breakthrough in accuracy with image recognition. And they had, if you like, the Olympic Games version of computer vision. It was called uh, ImageNet, if I remember correctly. So um, countries or just groups, but typically countries, competed with each other to find out who had the best image recognition system. Now, in the last year of the competition, in 2017, more than half of the entrants were Chinese-based, and the winner was an autonomous vehicle startup called Momenta. Now, in the year before that, in 2016, the team from the Chinese Ministry of Public Security (laughs) won, won one of the main components of the competition. Now, because of this, the whole competition took on a geopolitical overtone. Yeah, it would do. Yeah. Because because those who could see the benefit of AI were the ones who were investing in it. So in five years, from 2012 to 2017, AI rec- image recognition had gone from something fairly obscure that could achieve 97% or more accuracy, which wow. is... Yeah, and just five years. Okay, and um, and and it only ever gets more accurate anyway, doesn't it? Even it, beyond that, the last three percent might be a bit of a climb, but uh, it it doesn't stop. I would imagine the refinement of the system. Yeah, so there have been. Uh, I think it was in the early two thousands. A couple of um, Microsoft engineers um, who were looking into this sort of stuff. Um, they learned, and other people were doing this too, um, that accuracy of, um, I think this was this text or images they were playing with, I can't remember, but um, they learned that it wasn't getting the accuracy, it wasn't a function of computer power, and they said that their algorithms weren't necessarily better or worse than anyone else's, what they had that made the difference was the amount of data they could feed into it. Right. So I, I think that's right. I think it was words because they were uh, feeding in a million words, um, and the accuracy wasn't all that awesome. And of course, around the world, people are speaking trillions of words all the time. So a million words isn't isn't a great deal. It's not a lot. And when they started increasing the Im- put of words to the system, the accuracy started going up and up and up and up. Okay. All right. So is there any way of fooling facial recognition? Yes, there without, is. Without having it to wear a Nixon mask or something like that. Um, um, 
There are ways. I'm thinking of actually talking about hacking AI in another session because um, I feel that that is, uh, you know, a little bit further down the road, not too much further, but, yeah, I, I, that is definitely something I have in mind to cover. But um, for now, um, I mean, we just talked about um, uh, recognition of things and images, mm. but um, now we can talk about image generation. So a system that can create, you know, be creative and make something up. I've seen that with the um, AI renditions of the most beautiful male and female looking people. That was mm -hmm. a, a month or two ago. And I believe from what I saw there, if, if it was reported accurately, that these were totally AI generated. They look like organic people. They were beautiful people that obviously taken every feature that's known to be beautiful and sort of bundled it in onto humans, male and female. So, and it was hard to believe it was, they weren't real people. Yeah. Um, glad you brought that up because that's exactly what I was going to talk about. Oh, sorry to preempt. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, uh, clearly, um, our, uh, we have a stronger neural connection going on here. Yeah, without even realising it. Without yeah. even realising it. So um, back in 2014, a fellow by – fellow, that's a bit – I should have chose a different word. A guy called Ian Goodfellow uh, created a system called Generative Adversarial Network, or GAN, G-A-N. And a bit of a techie joke, um, Ian Goodfellow ended up being nicknamed the Gang Father. Okay. <laughs> now, yep. I, I described earlier on about how the neural networks operate. So the way he implemented this was uh, he used two neural networks together. One of these networks was called the generator, and the other neural network was called the discriminator. So the way these work together is that the generator just makes stuff up. Right. And the output from that gets fed into the discriminator. Now, the discriminator um, has knowledge based upon real-world data. Because of that, it can tell if the output from the generator, if the work is real or fake. So this is like, um, I'm sure these people have um, job titles, uh, like you, you go and analyse a piece of artwork in a museum and you closely scrutinize it to tell, is what I'm looking at here the real McCoy or is it a, a reproduction? And there are experts who, who can do that. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is how the generator and the discriminator work together. Right. Um, so then um, the faces, this system were, um, produced in 2014 were fairly blurry and not convincing at all. But in but by the time 2018 rolled around, they were so convincingly real that in 2019, the website thispersondoesnotexist.com was created. <laughs> okay. So every time you go to that web page, you will see um, a new AI-created face. And this means eventually AI will not need any real-world data in order to consult, in order to create it. Now, every time you, you, you um, go to this site, you see a new face. Um, all the ones I've seen are typically men, women, and sometimes children, boys and girls. 
I've never seen it um, create um, a face of somebody who um, might be elderly. Excuse right, me. Uh, right. Is that does that point to what the the information that is available skews to the younger? It it, it very well could be. Uh, it very well could be. Um, I maybe either that or I just haven't reloaded the page often enough to come across such a person. But the giveaway that you can tell that these are all AI generated is if you keep reloading um, the page, eventually it will show you an image of a person and then either side of that person, uh, there's another person. You know, basically if it was, uh, if you imagine a photo of a group of people, you know, it's many people, but and the photo that that website creates, it focuses on one, but the people next next door to that um, um, centre person, their eyes are all strange, they're all weird, um, sort of alien-like, and you look at it and go, yeah, that's 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 wrong, it's just wrong. But the the person who's the subject, the centre of attention in the photo, they're, they're real, even down to the wrinkles and the, and the frown lines and stuff like that. So, it's, so it's really what, what do we deduce from that? Well, um, it's impressive. That is that is for, uh, absolutely sure. Um, but the the weird ones on the the side they are weird because because they, it's not it's not focusing on that so yeah. much. So, I mean, so it's defaulting to lower resolution data to create the sort of ancillary parts that aren't the focus of the picture. That might be a way to explain it, um, or perhaps it's, it's just not uh, focusing that much um, on the on the additional people. Yeah. But in in terms of proof of work, um, it, it nails it. It it, yeah. it, it really does. And That's the scary thing. Yeah. So this is why we need to be aware of um, you know and um, of these things and get back to basics and get a better understanding of how these things can operate because then we know how they operate then we know how to use them for so our purposes. Here's me running away with this. Yep. So I create, let's say, the ideal-looking political leader through AI. Mm -hmm. So all the attributes, symmetrical face, great voice, that's very important. Um, you know, the, the best of, of all the, the presentational parts of a character like that that's in place convert that to deep fake video with the same look put that on tv as if they're in town halls or addressing crowds and you could easily have someone who isn't real becoming something yeah and in fact you could that's kind of already happened so uh, gang networks have been used by propagandists to make convincing faces, you know, for social engineering. And there was even a politician in India who used these gang networks to deliver a message to people in a language he didn't even speak. Right. Okay. <laughs> and weren't the National Party here in some of their collateral generating AI faces? I think they were. Yeah, I, I, I heard something today about um, a politician who was, uh, just to remember now the conversation, um, I think they were using some AI interface in order to um, 
work themselves, push themselves forward, that kind of thing. Um, right. And I thought, well, you know, <clears throat> if that's the case, then if the AI is doing that for you, then what's the point of you? Have you heard of um, Deep Deep Mind? No. So uh, Deep Mind was uh, a startup that had was bought by Google. Google didn't start this; they bought it for about it was reportedly for four hundred million UK pounds in twenty fourteen, and the task that they set to um, set this on was to uh, be an, uh, a world expert at the old game called go and it's it's said that when you play go it's uh, a very intuitive game that the uh, rules that you can apply with chess for example don't really apply because go is utterly more complicated and when you're using intuition how can you possibly get um, a system like that to um, to work well it turns out they did um, because by October 2015, um, they called it AlphaGo. That was that was the name of the project. It had beat a uh, champion called uh, Fan Hui. I think that's how you say his name. Um, five games to zero. And then there was a, another guy, a South Korean guy, I think uh, Lee Sedol. Um, he managed to beat AlphaGo in one game. Um, and that was all. Um, he was considered, in some respects, a stronger player than Fang Huey was, um, and it's improved over time. And to this day, um, lots of other Go players, you know, grandmasters or whatever the Go equivalent is called, um, remains undefeated. How 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 do you code in? <clears throat> Excuse me. How do you code in intuition? For crying out loud, how's that done? Well, maybe it's not actually intuition. I mean, intuition is in some ways an expression of you're able to think of things, but you can't explain how you thought it. So, in some ways, as it was reported, this game, um, Lee Sedol learned more. He said he learned more about um, the game because he was playing an artificial intelligence. Oh, okay. And, and there were, um, you know how little things become big things? So I uh, I think it uh, was move 36 or 78, one of the two. Uh, there was a small move made um, which um, determined the outcome of the game. Right. So, so it had a small ripple effect that went through the rest of the game and determined the um, the outcome. Is that the Streisand effect? I don't know what you call it, but you I keep hearing this thing. You know, a little, a little, or the butterfly. Butterfly, yeah. There's the butterfly effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So, like, um, in 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 many ways, you know, these AI generated filters are sort of getting a bit out of control. Um, I wonder how um, uh, teenagers feel about themselves, about their own um, self-value. I mean, a long time ago, uh, certain teenage magazines were um, given the raps because uh, they had photographs of people and 
particularly teenage girls felt okay this is how a woman is supposed to look like i'm going to model myself after that uh, unobtainable goals unobtainable goals and because i can't look like that because um then therefore i must be worthless so when you switch on um um snapchat filters or anything else like that that changes your visual appearance it's deciding um you know unless you do one of those mickey mouse um, cartoony kind of effects but if you're changing your appearance to be someone else it's kind of deciding well i don't think based upon the uh, billions of images i've seen you're not terribly good looking so i'm going to make you good looking so what does that do for your self-esteem not much. Not oh, much. I remember seeing a poster. This has been around for a while when I was a kid, probably about 10 years old, of Donny Osmond. Yeah. It was a big, huge, you know, child star back in the day, as as you know. Um, and th- thinking, I could never look like that. And feeling inadequate. Well, you know what? Uh, years ago... I used to eat Hubbard's breakfast cereal, usually for breakfast. And in the box, it was always some sort of newsletter thing. And on, on the back page, um, I can't remember it word for word, but I can remember it fairly clearly otherwise. Um, you might be um, an orange, but lots of people prefer apples. Now, you could change yourself from being an orange to being an apple. However, you will only ever be a second-rate apple because you are, in fact, an orange. Right. So you might as well just be an orange because, despite the um, popular preference for apples, there will always be people who like oranges, which is another way of saying just be yourself. Well, that's very nice of the Hubbard Cereal Company to have such uh, uplifting and um, philosophical messages inside their cereal boxes. And it was um, impressing upon me because I remembered it. Yeah, yeah, you haven't forgotten. Because, yeah, so uh, AI, you know, people have talked about it and tried to describe it in all kinds of ways. You know, you will have heard people say it's a bit like a Gothenburg printing press equivalent. I've heard that, yeah. Yeah. Um, Others say it's like um, electricity. Um, And then there's also the fire comparison. And I like like the fire one better because uh, fire can, you know, it can heat water, which creates steam. Steam drives turbines, which creates electricity. So, you know, fire kind of underpins that, if you like. But the other thing with the fire description is that, if you remember the fire triangle, right, you need three elements, fuel, oxygen, and spark. Artificial intelligence is similar in this respect because it too requires three things, data, algorithms, and computing grunt. And electricity. And electricity. Turn the electricity off and it's dead. We hope so. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> well, you know. These days, there's not a great deal that surprises me anymore. But that is the ultimate um, way of dealing to it anyway, as we know at the moment, is switch off the servers, turn off the power. Yep. That's it. Go out there and breathe some fresh air. Okay. So um, one of the interesting uh, um, items that when AIs come up on on my program anyway with some of the guests is – can it ever achieve a level of 
consciousness and awareness of itself. And that might be for another, because it's a big subject, another day mm. really focusing on that. But there seems no evidence that that line has been crossed yet. In my, in my view, I think we're um, a long way from that. Having said that, it wouldn't be the first time um, predictions have been made where something can't be achieved because of whatever, and then someone figures it out. And it only takes, you know, one or two people with the appropriate dedication to achieve that. Um, I've always believed that um, you shouldn't underestimate somebody who is time rich and cash poor. Do we go any more on AI in this session or do we save, maybe we get into that whole awareness consciousness thing, potential of AI. Um, And that could go in our next chat about it. Yep. And um, talk about ways on hacking AI. Oh yeah. Hacking. Yeah. You can like with uh, people recognition on cameras, if you cannot look like a person without, you know, there are ways to fall to full algorithms and, and you can walk around and be invisible to cameras. Oh, really? To person recognition systems, you can become invisible. Okay. Be interested to hear about that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, should we do that next week? I think we, I think we shall, yes. Have we got nice. anything more to say in this session about AI or any of the other um, items that we might have touched on in this chat? Um, I don't think so, not at this point. Um, I, I suspect there will be many people with brains who are now hurting. Yeah, sort of crunching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have to run it yeah. through AI to know what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot to, to soak in and, and process. Thank goodness for replays. Yeah, that's right, and come back to it over and over until you've got it. All right, Stephen Sykes, good to talk again this uh, Tech Tuesday. We'll do it again next week, and we'll stay on AI. Thanks. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.